different side of people. And so it's fun to come to these picnics and just see uh, people doing the moonwalk and all kinds of things, playing frisbee, eating. So this is, this is a place where we will have enough room for everybody, and we want everybody to come and bring your friends. And we, we, we hope to have plenty of food. I've yet to see a, a church function where there wasn't enough food. So I'd like to see if we can test the boundaries of that principle. And we're going to invite the, the fire department, the police department, uh, employees of the town, and the families of the 1058th Division. So we have some special guests that we'll be uh, hosting as well. So we do need a count. So there's a sign-up sheet down in the, in the fellowship hall. If you could let us know that you're going to be coming. You could also sign up in the welcome pad. You could call the church office. There's a church email address, but do let us know if you're coming. A couple other things. The Sunday school class, Mark Jennings is teaching. Today is the last day. Don't miss it. And uh, down in the library after this service. So no class, no class next Sunday. And again, to remind you, the Inquirer's class coming up August 22nd, membership class will be held in September on two Sunday afternoons, the 12th and 26th. So it'll take two Sundays to go through that. And uh, you can contact, uh, you can try to contact me about that, but I'm heading off to uh, Central Asia on Thursday. So uh, it might be hard to reach me, but you can contact the church office about the membership class or inquirer's class, or you can make a note in the welcome pad. Uh, we're continuing in the sermon series in the book of Isaiah. Jeremy is not with us this morning. I'll be bringing God's word. As you can see, things are arranged a little differently back here. We're having uh, baptisms this morning during this service. And we're just rejoicing in the Lord's presence, his love, and his goodness. You know, the thing that will keep you true is your vision of Christ. Look to Christ. See Christ. And he'll keep you true. Praise team, will you come and lead us in looking to Christ? Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. That sounds good. It's great to come together to worship our Lord. To hear from the Lord's Word, to, to see a great picture of salvation in baptism this morning. So we're excited to come together for worship. Let's uh, stand together. We want to start off this morning by reading from Psalm 95. Great words, the first three verses of Psalm 95. Let's read these and, and meditate on them as we enter into worship this morning. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Let's uh, pray together. God, you are the great God, the great King above all other gods. We want to come before you this morning and worship you. We want to bow down and give you the glory that you deserve, give you the praise that you deserve. We pray that your spirit could lead us in worship this morning, your spirit could open our hearts and our ears to hear your voice, hear from your word this morning. We pray that you could bless all the things that go on here, God, that we can be drawn closer to you by having been here worshiping you. We pray all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Let's start off our worship this morning by singing together of the Lord's great love. Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me, and I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth, and I will daily lift my hands, for I will always sing away. Thank you. 
together our desire for more of the Lord's love, more of his power. And I will worship you with all of my heart. And I will worship you with all of my mind. And I will worship you with all of my strength. For you are my This morning we have a couple of baptisms, and uh, it's an exciting thing to enjoy. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ desires us to remember Him, to focus on Him. And so the way that He has given us to enter into the Christian life, to express our faith in Christ, is to express it in a dramatization of our union with Christ, as it says in Romans 6, buried with him through baptism into death, raised with him to newness of life. And so we baptize in this tank of water back here, this baptistry. And uh, we have Tim Ells who's going to come in and introduce the two people that he'll be baptizing this morning.
this time, the ushers will come forward to receive the offerings. Let's, uh, let's continue to worship the Lord. Let's, uh, let's jump ahead and do uh, Lord Overall. So yeah, hearing those testimonies, we want to declare that uh, the Lord is the reason we live. He is the Lord overall. So I'm going to sing that to the Lord. Children from uh, kindergarten to grade two are welcome to Children's Church, which you can find through this door over on the left side of the sanctuary near the piano. Oh, you have to go around the other side. Okay. Children, you have to go around to the right side of the sanctuary today. last Sunday, you prayed for me because I was going to Kazakhstan and some people were thinking I'd already left and they'd been praying for me faithfully and here I am still. What a disappointment. I'm leaving for Kazakhstan on Thursday and uh, I do appreciate your prayers anyway. And uh, 
Today we're, we're continuing on in the sermon series in the book of Isaiah. And we're in chapter 22. And um, before we really dig into it, I want to talk, I want to sort of set the stage a little bit. You know the most beautiful thing that anyone will ever see, I think one of the most beautiful things, is loyalty in uncertain times. And uh, it's so beautiful when someone is faithful and true when it's hard. Uh, the Bible devotes a lot of space to this theme. All the, the chapters of the story of the life of David is one example. God's people were in chaos. The nation was in despair. And God chose a man after his own heart to come and lead the nation. And he gave a promise to David that David would be king. But it was a long wait through difficult times before that promise was fulfilled. And uh, David remained true and faithful during those times. A number of people gathered around David and made promises to him and kept their promises to him because they loved him and because they believed the promise that God had given to David. They believed that God was going to accomplish his purpose. They had hope that God was doing something. Uh, so David also stayed loyal to King Saul. And even though King Saul tried to kill him a dozen times, David remained faithful. King Saul's son, Jonathan, was loyal to David. He devoted himself. He took an, he, he took an oath. He made a covenant with David because it says he loved him as himself. And uh, David's friends came and stayed out in the lonely, you know, desolate wilderness together with him, protecting him because they believed God's promise and because they loved this man, David. One time when David was longing for a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem where he grew up, where he probably uh, satisfied his thirst as a child. But now Bethlehem was in the hands of the Philistine garrison and there was no way to go near uh, some of David's friends heard him saying this, and so they, they took off, they, they left, they went, they crossed the Philistine lines, they fought their way to the well, they drew water, and they brought it to David to drink. So, so much did they love this man. So, so much were they devoted to him and uh, loyal to him. Finally, the, the story reaches its climax when thousands of people come from all around Israel out to the wilderness to be with David and to, and to make him their king. And you know, the, the brightest hour of a loyalist is when his king is crowned. And I want to call you today to be loyalists. Listen to these words from uh, 1 Chronicles. This is this high point in the story of David. Uh, some of the words praising the people, the different groups of people who came out to the wilderness to join together and have a huge feast and a huge party and to make David king. And it says, There were men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And it's hard to understand our times. It's hard to know what we should do. It's hard to keep faith and to be loyal in uncertain times. But this is what we're called to do. This is, this is the calling that God has placed upon us. This is the need that Israel had during the time that Isaiah was prophesying. And this is what they were failing to do. So here's this beautiful thing, loyalty. Loyalty, how wonderful it is. But that's the thing that's absent in Israel. And in Isaiah 22, his theme is disloyalty. How dangerous disloyalty is. How ugly it is and how terrible it is. Would you turn to Isaiah 22? You'll find it on page 695. And uh, in this chapter, Isaiah stresses how uncertain the times are. He stresses, um, he exposes the disloyalty of the people. He sort of takes it apart and analyzes it and deconstructs it and throws it back in their faces. But at the same time, he opens the door a crack to show the glory of the king who is coming. And so there is some hope that Isaiah does give, even in this gloomy chapter. And for us, 
who have seen the King, we've met the King, we know the King, the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And we have faith in the King. We can't look at this gloomy chapter without focusing our hearts on the glory of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's uh, pray and then read this passage. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your grace, your love, and your power. Father, thank you that you've chosen a king who will reign, who will be over all the nations. Thank you that you've put everything under his feet, that you've given him authority over everything. And thank you that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and the world will see and acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ is king. And these are times of uncertainty that we live in. And we're tempted to go in all sorts of directions. We're tempted to disloyalty. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would refresh us today with a renewed vision of your power, your glory, your majesty, that we might be moved with love for you to remain loyal. Amen. As we, as we go through Isaiah 22, there's one thought that I want you to hold on to. And that is that love for Christ will keep you loyal to Christ. Love for Christ is enough. It's enough to keep you faithful even in hard times, even in times of doubt and temptation. Love for Christ, a vision of Christ, seeing him for who he is and enjoying him, longing for him, that's enough. And it's the only thing that will work to keep you loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Love for Christ will keep you loyal to Christ. Isaiah 22, we're starting in verse 15. This is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty says, Go, say to this steward, to Shebna, who is in charge of the palace, What are you doing here? And who gave you permission to cut out a grave for yourself here, hewing your grave on the height and chiseling your resting place in the rock? Beware, the Lord is about to take firm hold of you and hurl you away, O you mighty man. He will roll you up tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country. There you will die, and there your splendid chariots will remain, you disgrace to your master's house. I will depose you from your office, and you will be ousted from your position. In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will be a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him, its offspring and offshoots, all its lesser vessels, from the bowls to all the jars. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, the peg driven into the firm place will give way. It will be sheared off and will fall, and the load hanging on it will be cut down. The Lord has spoken. Sort of a, a mysterious passage in a way. It's so discouraging just pronouncing gloom and doom on these two government leaders who have, uh, whose stories represent the kind of selfish grabbing disloyalty which was characteristic of Jerusalem. In the verses that come before the section we've just read, we, we see the same kinds of selfish grabbing disloyalty as Isaiah says this is the problem with Jerusalem. This is the sin at the heart of Jerusalem. This kind of disloyalty, this kind of greedy grabbing that they're guilty of. So it's hard to remain loyal. It's hard to be a loyalist in uncertain times. And Jerusalem was living through uncertain times. It's hard, but is it really hard to understand why people are disloyal? 
it's, it's easy to understand why people are disloyal. When things are confusing, when things are difficult, when things are uncertain, we look for whatever we can find. It was hard to be a loyalist in David's day. And David would talk about his difficulties very frankly in poetic form in the Psalms. And in Psalm 11, for example, it's a psalm where he cries out about the difficulties of living faithfully for God in all the uncertainty that he faced. And uh, Psalm 11, he says, When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It was hard to hold on and to stay loyal to his king who was trying to kill him, to stay loyal when he was out in the desert, when he didn't have anything, when he was far from family, far from where he wanted to be, when he was considered a robber and a bandit out in the wilderness. It was hard to remain faithful to God during Isaiah's day. This whole section of Isaiah from chapter 13 to 27 is all about the judgments that are coming upon all the nations, on Babylon, on Assyria, on the, on the nations to the south, Cush and Ethiopia, the nations to the north, and uh, the neighboring nations, Moab and Edom. And God is bringing all this judgment. And here in chapter 22, he's saying even to Jerusalem, this judgment will come. There were things happening in the world like the world had never seen before. Superpowers arising, world-dominating kingdoms arising, kings with power like no one had ever imagined who were able to take people from one nation and bring them off to another and treat people like some kind of agricultural project or some bunch of livestock and just move them around where they wanted to. A king who was able to act like God, assigning people their nations. People had never imagined something like this before, and here it was happening to them. And you couldn't tell what was going to happen next. They were uncertain days. They were days of fear. It was hard to remain faithful and to see that God was reigning. And it can be hard to remain faithful, to be a loyalist in our day. It can be hard to be waiting for the king to come and reign in our day because there's a lot of uncertainty in our times too, globally, worldwide, in our nation, in our own local affairs, and personally we can face uncertainty that causes us to doubt whether there's really any hope. And uh, we begin to scramble and see what we can do for ourselves. Uh, it's become... Our day is a day when people uh, specialize. There's a great value in being uh, opportunists, in seeing what you can do to make sure that it's somebody else who gets voted off the island, not me. So we, we, we enjoy, you know, we enjoy seeing that all the TV shows where someone gets voted off. And we really enjoy the character who's able to outsmart everybody and keep himself ahead. And uh, this is sort of our paradigm, you know, the paradigm, the, 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 the explaining story of, of our modern times is this story of all the people in the lifeboat, and we have to decide who has to uh, be kicked out of the lifeboat because it's not enough for everybody. And there's this sense that there's not enough for us all, and uh, somebody's got to get voted off, and who's it going to be? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? And are you going to do it to me? Am I going to do it to you? These are times of uncertainty, and it's tempting to turn our backs on the king and do what we can for number one. But, uh, you know, it's hard to remain faithful. It's hard to remain loyal. It's hard to keep your focus on Christ in these times of uncertainty. I remember some times of uncertainty that Cindy and I passed through when we were uh, working in Kenya there was a, a period of time in the town that we lived in when there was a spate of robberies, these armed robberies. Around three or four in the morning, this gang would come to different people's houses and they would smash open the doors and the windows. You know, they'd bring these big, huge stones and just smash the, the, the house open. There's no way to keep them out. And uh, rob whatever people had at gunpoint. Um, then they got more brazen. They would steal cars and they would come to people's houses and rob in broad daylight. They, uh, they got so brazen, it was like the worst things that I had heard of in all the neighboring countries. 
they, would, they actually called up their victim and said, we're coming, have the money ready, don't call the police. And so the, the inmates are running the asylum, you know, these guys were just robbing with impunity, and, and what are we going to do? This is, this is insane. You know, and, and in this time, I, you know, I had to deal with ethical questions. You know, what do I do? What do we do as a family to, to protect ourselves? And so we'd take some security measures, and, you know, I had this old... Uh, bow and arrow that I had bought as a curio sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I was tempted to, you know, sort of beef up that sort of approach. But, you know, what would it look like in the newspaper a day later, you know, missionary kills intruder, foils gang of robbers. And, uh, you know, there was something in Jesus' teaching that came to my heart. And I realized it's not just an ethical problem I have of what to do but it's a spiritual problem of what to trust and what to love. And I realized I needed to, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't his words say something about when a person tries to take your garment, you give him your cloak as well, that I needed to be generous even to these thieves? Oh, what a challenge. But, you know, it, it was a spiritual challenge that I had to deal with as well as an ethical one. And I don't think I ever figured out the ethical one, and I'm still working on the spiritual one. But, the, but, but hard, uncertain times are very searching, and they search us spiritually, not just, not just ethically. Uh, so if it's, hard, uh, if it's hard to be a loyalist, why should we be loyalists? What's wrong with just, you know, looking out for ourselves, doing what we can for number one? Isaiah is on that topic. He's all over that topic. And Isaiah's point here in chapter 22 is that it's dangerous to be disloyal. And so he's, he's picked out two kinds of disloyalty. He's picked apart disloyalty. He's analyzed it. He's found two kinds. And uh, he talks about them starting really down in verse 8 all the way through verse 14. And he talks about how Israel is guilty of two kinds of disloyalty. There is escapism and there's opportunism. And the difference between an escapist and an opportunist is the escapist has lost his cool and the opportunist keeps his cool. But both of them are disloyal. The escapist is looking for some, he, he's lost hope, and he's looking for some kind of indulgence or fantasy that can just make him feel better for now because he has no hope. But the opportunist is refusing to give up hope, and so he's looking around him desperately to see if there isn't something that can improve his circumstances and improve his, his chances. But both of them, spiritually, are putting God behind and are disloyal to the king, the king who is coming, the king who will reign forever, the kingdom that will fill the whole earth, the king of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Isaiah wants to uh, first beat up on, on Shebna. He's an example of the escapist. So here's this guy Shebna. And what does he do? He builds a tomb like the tomb of a king you know, carved out of stone on the heights. And what a hopeless sort of escapist project is that. You know, what can he say? Oh, when I die, I'm going to have a really great tomb. And the trouble with escapist fantasies and escapist uh, indulgences is that there's no reality to them. You can't know where you're going to be buried after all. Uh, you know, drinking, it can make you feel good, but it doesn't make anything better. Uh, escapism in entertainment or in activities or experiences or whatever. It doesn't really help anything. And of course, the escapist realizes that that's the reason they're doing these things is because they've already lost hope. Don't lose hope. Keep your hope. See the Lord Jesus Christ and kindle your hope so that you don't fall into this escapism. And so then this other, this other sin we see this other sin of opportunism in the story of Eliakim, the replacement of Shebna. 
And so if you look in verse 23, uh, God says that Eliakim, God will drive him like a peg into a firm place. In other words, he's going to establish Eliakim's uh, stature and place in the kingdom so firmly that he can really be relied on. And so his relations all look at this and they say, all right, now we've got some coattails to ride on. Now we've got a way to get ahead. And so his relations are the opportunists because look here in verse uh, 23, he will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him its offspring and offshoots and its lesser vessels from the bowls to all the jars. All the relations are going to show up and say, hey, Eliakim, you know, can I have this? Can I have this position? Can I have a job? Can I have some handouts? You know, whatever. So they're opportunists. And the trouble with being an opportunist is that what you're depending on will ultimately fail. So you scramble and you get the top seat in the Titanic. It's of no use. And so, verse 25, In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, the peg driven into the firm place will give way. It will be sheared off and fall. And the load hanging on it, all the relations, will be cut down. The Lord has spoken. So it's dangerous to be an opportunist. You don't win in the end. It's dangerous to be an escapist. You can't really escape the reality is going to catch up with you anyway. So, uh, it's hard to be an escapist. It's dangerous. The, the, um, the thing that, that Isaiah is talking about is also negative. It's also gloomy. It's all about how, you know, there's judgment coming. You guys, you need to turn away from your sins. You know, you, you, you guys, you look to, when, when trouble comes to Jerusalem, you look at the walls, you count the houses, you try to get stones to shore up the walls. You think about water and making reservoirs, but you don't think about God. And so, disaster is coming. There's an opportunity to pray. God is calling the people to fast. To, he says uh, in Isaiah, to pull out their hair, to really get desperate in praying to God because things are looking hopeless, because things are so uncertain. But what do the people do in Isaiah 22 here? He says they get into some escapism. They start slaughtering the sheep and cattle. They start having a big party. They start having a celebration. They start enjoying themselves. They start indulging in all the enjoy enjoyments that they can find. And they say those famous hopeful words in Isaiah 22, verse 13, at the end there. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. There's no hope. It's, it's uh, dangerous to be disloyal. But you know, it's easy to be a loyalist. It's easy to remain loyal. It's easy to remain a loyalist when we love Jesus. It comes natural to us. And so Isaiah offers a little glimpse here of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, a little glimpse of the glory of the kingdom that is coming. You know, David's kingdom had been promised. David's kingdom had come. And of course, David got old and David died and he's gone. But there were promises God had given to David that were bigger than David. God is about things that are bigger than just one man and one man's lifetime. And he's going to fulfill his promises. And there is a coming king that God has promised. And he wants us to put our hope in him. Look in Isaiah 22, uh, starting with verse 20. And look at the description of this fellow, Eliakim. And you'll see a glimpse of the glory of Christ, even in the midst of this gloom. You know, Jesus, when he taught his disciples, uh, it says that they were, that, that he opened their minds to understand all that was written about him, and he taught them from all the scriptures that they all taught about Christ and about his coming. And you know, I read over this passage uh, numerous times, and I didn't see the glory of Christ in it, but somehow 
uh, you know, this and that that I, that I was handed and somebody else read it and showed me something. And I began to see Christ is right here. Look in verse 20. In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim. His very name, Eliakim, is the opposite of everything that's happening in this chapter. All the destruction and everything being knocked down. Eliakim means the God who sets up. And uh, what he's called, my servant Eliakim. One of the great themes of the book of Isaiah is the servant, God's servant, this mysterious and great figure who is to come, the Messiah who is to come and he's to reign and he's to suffer, he's to be glorious, he's to be hoped in and to look to be looked toward and to be loved, the servant. And so as we go through Isaiah, we're going to be coming to more and more references to the servant, God's servant. So here's his servant Isaiah, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with a robe and a sash. Revelation chapter 1 speaks of Jesus with the robe and the sash. These are the, the garments of authority. And Revelation chapter 3 picks up some other words from here. Whoever wrote Revelation, John, he saw the glory of Christ in this passage because he picked something out of here. In Revelation chapter 3, it talks about how Jesus is the one who opens and no one can shut. He shuts and no one can open. It's the glory of the kingdom of Christ, the finality, the power, the authority. And so here he is, verse 22. I will place on Eliakim's shoulder the key to the house of David. It's authority, and it's the authority of David's kingdom. And so we need to have hope that a king will come. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be a father to all of those. He will be called everlasting father. That's, a, well, that's what a king was called in, in the Old Testament. You know, they, you would always call the king my father. You know, whenever someone's big and important. And Jesus is the real uh, father in that sense. He's the one who really takes care of his people. Will he find love when he comes looking for it? So there's a, a glimmer of Christ's glory in here. So do we face uncertain times? Do we find it hard to remain a loyalist? Seeing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ is the way to stay faithful, to stay loyal to him. Loving Christ makes it easy to be loyal to Christ. And this is, this is really the, the how-to of the New Testament. If you want to be so crass, it's to say there's a how-to in being a Christian. There's a how-to in having victory in this life. It is to see Christ and love him. What is the Lord's Supper? It's a time to remember, to focus the mind's eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Keep remembering me and what I've done. Uh, of course, what is baptism? It's, it's the dramatization of our union with Christ. It's remembering. It's declaring out for everybody. See, look, Christ died for me and his death is my death. And he rose for me and his life is my life. And uh, we remember and we, and we see and we love. What's the first commandment, the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Out of all the dozens, the hundreds of commands in the Old Testament, he says the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, when Martha was busy with so many things, Jesus said there's only one thing that's important. There's one thing that matters. And what is it? Like what Martha's sister was doing. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Beholding him. Drinking in his teaching. Drinking in his presence. Delighting in him and his love and his goodness. That's the one thing that's needful. That one thing will take care of all the rest. How did Jesus restore Peter when Peter was unfaithful, when Peter was disloyal and denied him three times? He had Peter declare his love. 
Do you love me? And three times Peter insisted, You know I love you. Hear these words in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was no opportunist. Jesus was no escapist. He was faithful. Look to him, love him, hold on to him, and remain a loyalist. There is a bronze statue in Tokyo in honor of a dog. The dog's name is Hachiko. was named Hachiko. Uh, he was born in 1923. And uh, Hachiko was owned for a couple of years by a fellow named Professor Isaburo. And uh, Professor Isaburo loved this dog. And uh, every day... Then when Professor Isaburo had to go to work, he, he was a professor at the Imperial University in Tokyo, uh, the dog Hachiko would accompany him to the train station. He would board the train and go to work, and when he would come back, there would be Hachiko wagging his tail and waiting for his master, his beloved master. And uh, unfortunately, there came a day when Isaburo fell ill at work and was not able to return and actually died before he ever was able to return home. But Hachiko would uh, stay on watch uh, every day, and he never failed. In fact, it was 10 years Hachiko stood watch, waiting for his master, his beloved master, who would never return. It's easy to be loyal. It's easy to be a loyalist if you're in love. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you long for his coming? A dog can do it. Can I? Can we just love the Lord Jesus Christ and wait for his return? You know, Hachiko's master would never return, but your master will. He has promised he will not fail. He will come. Can we bow in prayer? If you are here and you have not committed your life to be a loyalist for the Lord Jesus Christ, to throw your lot in with Him, if you haven't given up in despair over your sin and fled to the Lord Jesus Christ and tasted the love, the forgiveness, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, call on Him now Call on him right where you are. Ask him to make a place for you in his kingdom, to prepare a place for you, to think of you, and to come to you now in the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell with you for all eternity, to be loyal to you. Oh, fill your heart with love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his faithfulness, for his love, for his glory, for his kindness, for his majesty. Thank you for how his disciples fell in love with him. Thank you for brothers and sisters through the ages who have been moved by love for Christ in amazing ways. And Father, may that love penetrate our hard hearts. How terrible for us that we've been opportunists, that we've been escapists when we have the Lord Jesus Christ to hang on to. Lord, be with us. Amen. Praise team, will you come and lead us in one last song?